Amy Gordonier is the founder and CEO of SkinFix, an early pioneer of clean clinical beauty and skin barrier health. Join us as we discuss her journey working for some of the industry's biggest global companies, her inspirations along the way, and how she started her very own brand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Founder Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs about some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success, and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable & Main, a modern health wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable & Main has been an incredible journey so far, and I decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. Now, without further ado, it's like to welcome our guest for today, Amy Gordonier. She is the founder and CEO of SkinFix, the brand renowned for putting the skin barrier first and pioneering clinical beauty. She's also an industry veteran with over 20 years of experience working for the beauty's biggest names, including L'Oreal, Cody, and Estee Lauder companies. And it was actually at the latter, but German and herself predicted that Amy would one day own her own brand. She launched Skin Fix in 2012 after discovering a healing balm that was first created in the 1800s to treat skin irritation. Excited by the idea of a natural product created so long ago that passed modern clinical testing, Amy led SkinFix to become the best-selling brand it is today, both recommended by dermatologists and a cult favorite amongst Sephora customers. I cannot wait for our conversation today. So Amy, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Akash. I loved your introduction. I might steal it and put it on our website. It was fantastic. Well, I have to say yeah. your introduction that I loved was I was at WWD forum once and I remember seeing your video of how you created everything. And I remember <laughs> still so vividly today, it's probably one of the best ever um, introduction or visual video introductions I've ever seen in my life. So yeah, you've, oh, you've, wow. you've, you've, you don't need to change thank anything. You. You've got, you've got the best stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you. That's so kind. It was a I fun video it. to do. There were lots of interesting, fun, quirky, bizarre things that happened along the way in Skin Fix. It was fun to put it into a video. Well, I'm excited to also maybe get to some of these topics as well today in the pod. But before we start, I, I do ask all my guests the same initial questions. I'm going to ask you, who in a nutshell is Amy? I mean, I'm a seeker. I'm truly a seeker. If anyone who's listening ascribes to Western astrology, I am a Sag moon, Sag rising. Sag is ruled by Jupiter. We are the seekers. It rules conventional religion and spirituality. And when I arrived at university, I've always been a seeker, but when I arrived at university, I thought I'd be an English or history major and started taking every class in comparative religion to the point that at my en the end of my second year, when it was time to declare a major, I had already taken enough credits to major in comparative religion and became a comparative religion major. So it's just for me, um, I'm just always searching for the meaning of life. I'm a big believer in everything's possible. And uh, 
yeah, I'm just curious and very much a seeker. I love that. A seeker. That's such a beautiful word to encapsulate everything. Um, so, Amy, I do want to start a bit at the beginning. Baby Amy, can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about sort of um, little old Amy and some of those early memories of beauty specifically growing up? Yeah, no, I love that. So my dad actually worked in beauty. Uh, he was an engineer, is an engineer, and he had initially started in manufacturing with companies like Bristol-Myers and then P&G, and he ended up landing at Estee Lauder and worked for Joseph Lauder, who was Estee's husband, and for Leonard. Back in the day, in the very beginning, he launched Clinique with them. So this is sort of early 70s, late 60s, and he was their head of manufacturing. So when I was little, Lauder was still very much a small family-run company. They had a picnic every summer for all the families. And um, and I remember meeting Este, going into her office one day with my dad in New York and sort of seeing her office and meeting her. She was a very intimidating woman and character in, in the best possible way, just a formidable human. You could feel her energy. But um, so I kind of was, in essence, raised in beauty during my early years. So it was always an industry that I felt an affinity for. And because the Lauder companies, you've worked for the Lauder companies, have such a family feel to them. Even today, it felt like a warm, happy, creative, fun place to be. So yeah, that was always my impression. And so tell us a bit about, I know, I know you, you, you mentioned a little bit about your studies, but then you went in straight into the, the kind of, um, uh, beauty industry, working for some great companies from L'Oreal, Coty, Estee Lauder. Tell us a bit about that kind of jump from Princeton to then your career and how it all evolved. Yeah. I mean, I was sort of the one at Princeton that nobody knew what I was going to do with my life. I was like creative, you know, comparative religion. Everyone's like, what is she going to do? Uh, all of my friends were interviewing with the consulting companies and all the investment banks and I was like, I have no idea. So uh, I put all of my my resume out to all of the beauty companies and ended up getting an interview at several for various jobs, you know, admin assistant at one, um, very much an entry-level coordinator at another. And then at L'Oreal, by chance, I ended up meeting with the woman who would be my future boss. And then she introduced me to the VP. And they thought I was just so quirky and offbeat and left like out, outside of the box that they hired me to be a product manager, which was traditionally an MBA level job. I mean, I had not taken math since I was in grade 12. I was not science oriented. So this was kind of a big deal for me to get this job. Um, I was incredibly lucky. It was an awesome experience. I love L'Oreal to this day just the best place to learn business on planet earth. I mean, right away at age 22, you're in meetings with every level of the organization. You're running a hundred million dollar budget. You're doing product development. You're working with ad agencies. I mean, I knew nothing and they trusted me to figure it out. And it was absolutely incredible. So I was just really, really lucky to land that job. And and I think the, the best thing is, is, is also going in with such enthusiasm to learn. I feel um, it can be quite daunting and overwhelming in these big companies. Like, you know, how do you play your cards? I worked at Estee Lauder, LVMH, and the biggest curiosity that you should have is just what does everyone else do? Because you don't get that exposure every day to be around such vast talent. Um, so did you find yourself 
exploring and speaking to and networking a lot in these companies? Absolutely. I mean, this was back in the day when we were in offices too, which I feel like, you know, this virtual world is a little bit of a disadvantage to people coming through the ranks because there is a lot of conversation and learning and mentorship and interaction that goes on in an office environment, which is also a lot of wasted time. It means you're all probably at work longer too, but there was a lot of just wandering into someone's office. Um, there was a woman named Linda Harris who was just um, a goddess in the world of product development. She was famous uh, and she was at L'Oreal and she was formidable and intimidating. And I, but I just was so curious that I constantly was drawn to her office. I think product development was always my passion. And even though I was in marketing, I really loved PD. And I got to spend a lot of time with her and watch and listen and learn because I was in the office. But yeah, that curiosity is really half the battle. I mean, I was there as a product manager with people that were much smarter than me, that were much better educated, that knew statistics. We did a lot of market research and I had no background in statistics, but because I was curious and I spent the time to listen and learn, um, it, I was successful. I think curiosity to your point is really half of the magic. Exactly. I think, I think, and then the other half is the action, right? Is not being afraid yeah. to, to message a coworker and say, Hey, like I, I do influence marketing. Like maybe I can have a coffee with you and I can tell you a little bit about what I do. And you tell me about supply chain and see what they say. You know, uh, I think it's, it's something that I had no expectation from it when I was so curious in my career, but then it's helped me so much in my business today. Cause I didn't know now that those conversations I had back then with no expectation has really helped me today understand a bit more about these other areas in the business that now as the CEO and the founder, I have to, I have to know. Um, so yeah, you never know when it could help you. And if not, it's just interesting to learn, you know, that's the most important thing. Um, it is absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it fun. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and I think not underestimating what you have to also share. Cause I think sometimes people feel, well, I don't want to take that person's time, but maybe they want to listen to what you do and what you know, what you know, um, no matter your age, your experience, I think it's, uh, seeing the worth in every conversation, both ways is very, very Absolutely. important. And I yeah. think in so many ways, because of social media, the paradigm has been shifted on its head in the sense that it is the 22 and 23 year olds in my company who I listen to the most. I literally have no idea. You know, they were asking me the other day to listen to a new TikTok song. I'm like, I don't have any idea. You, you decide, you know, so there's so much about content they're asking me. And I, you know, I, I defer to them on so many things, which is so much more pronounced than when I started. And it was a very traditional marketing world. Nowadays, young people do bring so much knowledge and wisdom and are so critical to the organization, which is really cool. Yeah, I could, and very reactive that they know what's happening, like not even on that day, but in that hour that I think sometimes oh, yeah. you, you have to really make sure you, you're listening at the right time as well, because you might want to listen to that imminently to get on the, the, you know, the bandwagon of whatever it is. So yeah, fully, fully agree. Um, but yeah, it is hard, I think, from both sides when there are now this virtual, and you said it on the nail on the head, right? With this virtual world, it doesn't make it easier for that. So I'm, I do hope that this hybrid situation is more reinforced as a founder too. I want more of my employees in my office when I can, but um, I think I think it's important to now really reinforce that balance as there is still physical interaction needed 
impactful companies in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. My 19-year-old is going to start working with us in community management. She lives in Montreal. She's in university. But I made her go to New York. Virginie, my president and I were like, you need to go and you need to physically meet these people that you're going to be working with. And you need to come periodically because she's 19. She's lived on a screen now for four years and she doesn't, you know, it's just so important to have that chemical interaction too. And just like meet people face to face before you kick off with them. I think it helps. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And then, so 2012, um, I know this was the year that Skin Fix came to be, but I'm sure there's many years of ideation. So can you tell us a bit about the journey of starting it and then how the name came to be as well? Yeah. So I actually didn't found the company. It was founded by a woman named Karen Warner. She was her great, great grandfather's formula. He was a pharmacist in Yorkshire, England in the 1870s. And he had created this everything balm, this wonder balm, this healing balm, which was an amazing combination of actives at very high levels, which ended up probably not in 1870, but later on, we're all FDA OTC monographed actives. And so coming from L'Oreal and Lauder, there's no way I would have been able to formulate like this with this many actives at that high level. So it was fascinating to me. So when I, um, I met Karen, I initially met her to help her just do sort of a marketing plan and help her do some fundraising. I fell in love with the product. I just thought this is so cool because the idea of being a, at the time a natural or a clean OTC product. This product had a lot of efficacy at treating things like eczema and psoriasis, even diabetic foot ulcers. I just saw such potential for a natural product to do some heavy lifting. Um, But she had created the name Skin Fix and had trademarked it in North America, which I thought was genius. Um, And I was so captivated by the formula and then also the hundreds of testimonials that the family had collected over decades of people that had used it to treat some really serious skin issues. And it had worked and given them back their sense of confidence, their quality of life. And that's what really sort of made me think, okay, I don't have a good idea on my own, but this is a really good idea. And I'd love to be part of it and ended up buying the company from her in 2012. And from then it was one formula. She had very scant distribution. She made the product in a, her garage and sold it out of her home primarily and had a great name and a great story. That's amazing. I mean, obviously like um, the brand we see today is a complete evolution from that initial one product and formula, then it's an incre- incredible entity that you've built. But it's so great to know that the power of one skew can influence a mind to want to build something around it. You know, the, the beauty of like, kind of like the, the solar system of it, that was, that was a sun. And now look what the whole universe you built of skin fix. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like when you look at like a Sol de Janeiro, the boom, boom cream, yeah. or I, for Fable in Maine, is it the hair, the hair oil, oil that's yeah. sort of the epicenter? And that is so powerful. It's sort of everything that you do revolves around that initial concept and that initial yeah. premise and that DNA. And it's, um, it's yeah. cool. And, and you know, one one story I'll say when we developed the brand, it's so funny because we actually initially only had this oil, and then we went to Sephora, and they were like, "Listen, you got to have like a couple of more products if you want to launch with us." So we were like, "Okay, well, with the shampoo, conditioner, the mask, it makes sense." And then when we were building it and we we're launching it, I didn't think like, "Okay, the oil is our hero." I just thought we yeah, have this brand, and then naturally the customers 
inevitably fell in love with the oil. And then a few months later, we were like, well, that is our Jador of Dior. That is our Boom Boom Cream. Yeah, that mm. is our Solus Sun. And that's perfectly okay to have a hero product that everything revolves around and the rituals revolve around. Um, and you want to protect that. You want to have something that no retailer will dare delist you or no brand will dare uh, or, or person would dare like get rid of you if they love that one skew so much. And it kind of was inspired from my Estee Lauder days when I saw the advanced night repair and how they kept mm. on anniversarizing it. And just, it was always their bestseller every year on year. And then at Dior, it was the Jador. So I thought, wow, I've got it. So you don't know what you have until maybe even later after you launch. Um, but it's important to think about it. So I'm cute. I want to ask you, I mean, and maybe you can also tell us a bit about the products you have today, but is like, what is your hero skew today after this many years? Yeah, great question. It's our triple lipid peptide cream, which is in our skin barrier health collection, which is our largest collection by far. So we have this collection called Barrier Plus, which is really focused on skin barrier health. And we were the first brand to really bring skin barrier health to Sephora. Now it's yeah. a really hot topic in skincare. And I think it's the number four um, most requested skincare concern at Sephora, which is pretty cool. Um, but the barrier collection is our is our sort of center. And then we have our therapeutics that are sort of our acute care products. So we started in therapeutics and then by treating things like eczema and rosacea and keratosis pilaris, we realized that it all came back to the skin barrier itself. And so we created a line of products with a patented complex to actually help increase skin zone ceramide and fatty acid production to improve the barrier health. But triple lipid peptide cream is the sort of center of that. It's a large percentage of our business. It's a daily moisturizer that's just loaded with all this great stuff that gives you healthier skin. Um, so it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's our, it's our son. <laughs> it's your, it's your son. But then tell us, oh, you have acne plus, tell us about the whole collections and a few things people can find in Skin Fix today. Yeah. So, you know, everything that we do is about barrier first. So often when you're treating skin concerns, like acne is a perfect example, you're actually often doing a lot of damage to the barrier because everyone, you know, is using all of these acids and, and actives that can strip and dry and cause irritation and flaking. And so we start first with how do we protect the barrier? How do we keep the barrier healthy? Because ultimately when your skin barrier is in dysbiosis or is not balanced, it's going to create more issues. So first we use ingredients that are really going to protect that barrier. And then we layer on the actives that are going to treat the symptoms, but we do so in the right combinations to do the work, but not kind of over overdo the work, if, if you will. And we work closely with our sort of Durham community to understand that. So we treat acne that way. We treat eczema which is our heritage, which is where we started. Uh, we treat keratosis pilaris, which are these little bumps on the back of arms and legs. 80% of us have them at some point in our lives. We just launched a product to tackle psoriasis, which is the first of its kind product at Sephora. Worked closely with a, a derm on our scientific advisory board named Dr. Peter Leo to create that product. Um, and so that's really what we're about. First barrier health, you know, every day, daily maintenance, daily, daily care of the barrier. But when you have a concern or an issue, we have a series of acute care products that can help you treat those symptoms. That's amazing. Well, to tell us a bit about the, the importance of your derms and how it's all like your advisory board and yeah, yeah. this kind of side of the business. So when I first bought the brand, which was this one SKU, um, yeah. it, it seems clear to me that eczema was sort of the category to 
to focus on and to tackle. It seemed to be a big opportunity and there were no clean products in the eczema space. And this product had such strong efficacy, but I'm not a dermatologist. So the first thing I did was to take the product to Toronto and meet with a derm named Dr. Sandy Scott Nikki. And she said, Amy, I love the product. There was actually one ingredient in the original balm that she said you need to remove. It was a, an ingredient called balsam tolu, which is a sap from the balsam tree, which is an ancient wound healer and is a really powerful ingredient, but can be very allergenic. So she said, wow. you got to get rid of that or derms will not you know, germs won't like it. So germs won't touch it. So we did remove that ingredient, but otherwise she said, I love the actives. I love the levels of actives, but I'll never recommend your product because I'm a germ. I need to see clinical evidence. So being naive, you know, optimistic indie founder, I was like, well, let's do a clinical. (laughs) Like not even what's the cost of that. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, we have to do a clinical. I mean, but we did do a clinical in her office with 10 patients. And then she said, you know, what would be really interesting to me is if you took this balm and compared it to a hydrocortisone cream, which is sort of the gold Mm -hmm. standard of what a derm would recommend for eczema. So we did. And um, we got incredible results. And what we found was that our product actually treated the eczema as well as the hydrocortisone, all of the symptoms. We used what's called a SCORAD scale, which is how they test for eczema. But while a hydrocortisone diminishes barrier health, ours actually improved it. So we got these great results. Um, and that just sort of set us on this path that it was very much intrinsic to our DNA that we would develop products with dermatologist input and we would test the products to the sort of dermatologist's required level in order to um, get their buy-in and get them on board. So it was kind of part of the brand from the get-go. And you know, 10 years ago, it was probably a really stupid idea, but 10 years later, it's, it's awesome. Because exactly. <laughs> really, we're well positioned today. 10 years it's, ago, I was an idiot. I, I know, but also like you were such a visionary back then to, to be thinking of those things that now are like, kind of like the things people are needing to do, right? It's, it's, it's yes. so good that yeah. you started in that way and not re-engineer it later because um, in hindsight, that's so hard to undo if you didn't start with that same mission. And it's just great that it's becoming timeless of what you've done is now becoming so relevant more than ever in this day and age, which is great, but we're lucky. But it's, yeah, yeah. we're lucky. Yeah. It's, we're, you did it. You smashed that. That was a stroke really of luck. Akash, yeah. you know, as a founder, sometimes you just do yeah. smart things and sometimes yeah. you do stupid things. <laughs> oh, many, many stupid things. Um, but you know what? Like, it's funny that the stupid things, because it's so much happening at the same time, you don't really have time to like scold yourself and you, you end up learning so much that you're like, oh, that's okay. Let's move on. I've learned from it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, yeah. I, like literally, like, <laughs> like I was telling you before this call, I was like, I've been looking at outer packaging for like two months on a product and just decided, okay, no outer packaging. And I was like, why did I not think of that earlier? And I still don't know why this happens in this day and age of my business, but it happens. Um, it's so sometimes I always say, too. yeah, it so is much going it's on. Such a beautiful way. It's so true. Yeah. And like the most simple things are not there. And it's just, you have to take step back, which is now why I'm realizing the importance of holiday. I'm like, I do need holidays because I don't take enough. And I think it's important to So to important. Breaks. And also it's for so me, important. having a private equity partner come in who <sighs> we got really lucky. We have a, an operating partner who was 24 years at L'Oreal. She's amazing. She's like a co-founder to me, but she sees those things because I'm like, Ooh, and then she's like, did you think about no carton? I was like, oh, like, oh awesome. 
Yeah, why not? Yeah, no, it's so, it's, it's, I need more of a, I mean, luckily I have my sister, but you know, we are the same blood and therefore we have sometimes a similar brain. So it's sometimes it's just double the problem and not, we need to like have something else in there to balance the double. Double the power. Issue. Double, double the, the power, power, double the mistakes, you know, that happens. But then when it works, double the success. So it's great. Um, but um, one thing I do want to really talk about is your mission. Um, I know something about the, the repurpose um, and your kind of uh, commitments and sustainability. So can you tell us a bit about what you are doing? Yeah. So, you know, sustainability has been something that's been very important to our brand from the beginning. We were actually the first brand that I know of to use PCR resin in our product packaging. What we've done a really bad job of is telling people what we're doing. You know, we were just kind of doing it because we felt it was the right thing to do. And my head of operations is my sustainability goddess and warrior, and she's on it. But we, from the very beginning, recognize that this is a single-use product and we're putting more plastic out into the world and what can we do? And we're constantly, as I'm sure you are, trying to work it out and and figure out what the best solution is. And there's a lot of people that are doing a great job of kind of explaining their thought process. Like Leah Yu from Crave Beauty does such a great job of like breaking things down. And I learned so much from her, like, okay, right. Glass is better in this instance, plastic in this instance. But um, anyway, we are a clean and planet positive brand at Sephora and kudos to Sephora for really lifting the bar and upping the ante in terms of their planet positive requirements, making it very rigorous to be a planet positive brand. I'm happy to say we were able to comply and um, we work with a number of organizations to help remove plastic from the environment so that we're plastic neutral. We work with Protect Our Winters, which was founded by Jeremy Jones, who's a a snowboarder who it's a group of sort of creatives and celebrities and athletes and scientists that are working to protect the things we love to do in the winter, protect our winter so that we can continue to do the things we love. It's very much something that we feel close to as a Canadian brand. And so we, um, we created a gift set for Sephora last year and we're able to give a hundred thousand dollars to protect our winters. We had committed 25 K and we gave them a hundred thousand. We were really proud of that. So we're doing what we can, but, you know, we're realistic in that this is a single use product and, you know, we're working, we're, we're introducing refills. We're doing what we can to just try to minimize the impact for sure. Yeah, no, it's, and and it's very important to, in a way, like all the hard work you're doing to communicate, but it is hard because you have certain ways that retailers can help you with their own seals and, and, you know, um, I guess emblems and stuff, um, and programs, but then you also have to do your own job. And then you have always sections on website, but then how many consumers go there? It's tough, um, to find that balance, but I'm, I'm, hoping the biggest way is when the consumers themselves are now searching for it more and more and then being able to see it on, a, on you know, seeing the product, seeing the work you're doing. Um, but do you have any tips for founders out there that need to also share more about all the great stuff they're doing? Because it's hard. Yeah. I mean, I think what's hard about it, and you'll, you'll understand this because your brand has such a strong story and there's such a sort of cultural message. I mean, it's a very whole story, Fable and Maine. I love it. It's like a family piece. There's a cultural piece. There's a ritual piece. There's a spiritual piece. There's a wellness piece. So that's your brand story and you need to communicate that. And in the same way, Skinfix has 
a very rich story around our history and how we formulate and how we test. And so sustainability often falls to the bottom of the list in terms of content. But I think that's okay because in the end of the day, um, we don't do it so that someone will buy the brand. I think people that are really, you know, it's really important to them will look for the seal and that's great. But we do it because we feel like it's the right thing to do and we're trying to do the best we can. So in terms of the hierarchy of messaging, I think it's really important to understand your brand and what's really important about my brand and what am I really, where's my added value in this beauty world and in this beauty space and how am I really giving something to the client that they that they need and want that might help them on their journey, whatever it is, to um, a healthier lifestyle, healthier hair, healthier skin. So we kind of look at it from that perspective. And so sustainability often kind of gets the, the least amount of coverage. And we have our sort of pie of, you know, X percent of communication is about barrier health and X percent about germs. And we kind of do that based on what we think is the most th- important thing to communicate about the brand. Yeah, so that's great advice. Sustainability isn't ever going to be a brand position. I don't think, I don't no, think no. we can. I, I, I think it's, it's, it's a sort of a, a given eventually, and it will be the sort of status quo and mandate that we should do as a, what we feel we need to do and also kind of um, make it, Yes, we have to make it as easy for people to also be sustainable in their actions through ways we can say, you know, this is how you recycle this and here's some how-to on how to dispose of the products. But at the same time, um, connect with the more enriched, deeper messages and do the work on the side, on the, on the background, you know, on the sustainability. Because that's our our job. That's our mission. Um, and our totally. Job. I mean, I love your content because I feel like as an entrepreneur going on a journey or aspiring to go on a journey, I can follow you and get so much incredibly helpful, aspirational, informational, and also real information. So, you know, there's so many ways that we can add value, I think, in the world. And, and it's, um, it's about figuring out what your, what is yours to do? You know, what is yours? What can you uniquely offer? um, And and what's your non- No non-negotiable. It's so funny because uh, I'm glad that you said that because every time I share, and I'm going to share a lot, lot more, and I'm like an open book. Maybe it's my naivety, but I don't care. Um, Or my team are like, yeah, my team are like, stop sharing that. Like that's our trade secrets, and I'm like, it's fine. Like you know, doesn't matter. (laughs) People can know how much I spent on my influencer and ad. Like I'm just, we move forward and we help on the way. Uh, But they're like, okay, Akash is just what he wants, and I'm like, yep, damn right, I do. So that's the way I want to build it because but I just you had feel like, like... three hundred thousand followers. So a lot yeah. of people want to hear what you have. Yeah, and 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 I think it's like you know I I just know as well that whatever I learn and do, like I just feel so so much pride when I see others around me doing similar stuff that they love, also achieving it. So if I can share some stories, some tips, some you know my my contact list, whatever it is, I'm more than happy to. Um, because I don't, I truly don't see the need to gatekeep and control. I feel it's so much better when we all move together at the same time. Uh, it is hard to share and then do because the doing is so 
draining and like, uh, you know, being a founder and a CEO, especially in both are quite different roles. Sometimes you just end the day. And the last thing I want to do is talk about that event that I'm just drained from and tell, tell everyone about it because I just, you know, it's another piece of work. It's like being an influencer on social media, but I try my you best. You are an influencer. Your yeah. edits are fantastic. I could never I do what you do. I have to try to, but trust me, it's hard now, but I have to try to force myself to be like, no, 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 share, share, share. But um, as I'm getting older and as I'm getting more bigger into this company and more involved, it is, I'm like, I see why it's hard to sustain that because yeah, it's hard being um, both being online and publicly facing and then being internally facing and just dealing with everything. Well, and that's but, uh, why at yeah. some point I think, you know, a lot of founders find they have to choose one of yeah. the two roles. Because, one of the two roles. You know, it's very true. what you're doing in the founder space I think as a fellow founder is yeah. really valuable for the brand oh, and for, and for, for people others, who, and for yeah. And for and, me and for yeah. others. And so maybe at some point, you know, you'll say, okay, well the internal stuff I'll outsource because you can't do everything 100%. well at some point. Yeah. You just, I, I truly, and the brand that. might need someone that can take it to the next level. And it takes a lot of self-awareness to know if I can do it or not. And I've had this conversation with myself a lot. I think, there's still a little bit more I want to learn, but I'm 100% ready at one point to take in a president or even a CEO to replace me or a CEO right hand, just because um, I know I want to do more of the founder side and community side and less potentially on the, oh, there's a packaging issue or there's a supply issue. Let me fix yeah. that for two days. It's not what and I And it enjoy. doesn't mean no, you can't yeah. do it. I mean, no, you can exactly. do it. You can yeah. do the CEO role. It's just you can't do everything well and can't no human can do everything no, yeah, well. Yeah. And so it's just a choice. It's a exactly. choice and it's, it's about and listening deciding to yourself. what's best. Like I, yeah. I started to listen and be like, do I enjoy that side? No, I don't enjoy that side. And it's very okay to admit what you, in, it's good to admit even what you enjoy and don't enjoy in your role and have, um, I guess, pride in yourself to stand up for some form of positive change in your life to evolve and grow into more what you do enjoy and learn new things and delegate potentially what you don't. Um, and I think that's what I'm kind of thinking about now more and more is going more into what I like. Um, and I, I deserve it. I feel like after a couple of years, you know, four years and stuff like doing the brand and stuff, I feel like, Oh, it's time now. I deserve it. I can afford as well. Affording is one big part too of the whole piece because at the beginning of the journey, I, I didn't have the funds to, and we're still self-funded to this day. And, to hire a talent. Yeah, it's it's hard um, because I, I I tend to to stall some of the growth opportunities on purpose to not dilute yet. Uh, I'm very happy with double digit growth and not triple digit growth at this moment of time because I, I still see a longer term future for this brand with me at the helm. But um, it's a bit scary when your retailers are like, and brands and my left and right are taking 10 million fundraising and then investing a lot into the retailers. And I'm like sitting there like, Oh, I'm not moving as fast, but I'm still keeping calm and being like, nope, it's going to pay off later because they're going to sell anytime soon. And it's going to, that's the why they're doing it. And I'm not. So just continue the long term sustainable, like the tortoise on the hair, you know? I'm the tortoise. I was going to say yeah. on your website, your favorite yeah. fable. It's so it's true. A tortoise and that's so it. True. It's, it's important. It's important. But um, yeah, I feel, I feel like this is like my therapy session. I'm like, I'm just like thinking no, about everything, it's but it's true. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's it a more true. sustainable path. 
as somebody yeah. who took a lot of money out of the gate and mm. spent a ton of money out of the gate, I would never do that again. <laughs> you know? yeah. But we were initially like, we're going to beat CeraVe. And, you know, yeah, you have again. to do those things. Yeah. I mean, it's my Sag and my husband's a Sag moon. And we're both like, let's go for CeraVe. I mean, oh, I know. But, you know, I mean, right out of the gate when we were spending a ridiculous amount of money, we were actually competing. And then we were like, but yeah. we can't sustain this. Sustain so, it. Yeah. but yeah, I self being self-funded and, and building something sustainable for the long term is so the way the way it should be yeah. done. I, I, yeah. I do want to, to 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 you know obviously it is a luxury at one point to be able to self-fund and I'm fully aware. But also um, if you have a good brand and a good concept, there is people wanting to put money on it. Like that. Let me like tell you that like the money out there is not the hard part if you have a good brand and a good story and an authentic why. The question yeah. mark is when and who, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. you mentioned it earlier, like finding the right partner. Do you have any tips for when you took in a strategic partner and it was like the best partnership? What were some of the tips you would tell to people who are in the similar boat? Yeah. So for me, our ultimate partner is Stride Consumer Partners. And I chose them because of their experience in beauty and their specific experience with Sephora but also because of the operating partner, Nicole Forgu, who had been brought into Stride and 24 years at L'Oreal as an operator. So I felt like I had a co-founder, co-pilot. They were not the highest valuation. They Mm. were not. Um, Actually, their first valuation was really low. I always tease Steve Berg, the general partner there. I'm like, that was a really low ball offer. We did get them up to a competitive level simply because I had investors who were like, okay, we're not going to, you know, but my reason for choosing them was very much the chemistry, their experience. They also have a lot of resources. They have a finance team that they outsource to us for anything we need. They have a really strong marketing um, group that, you know, they help write JDs for us. They help RFP agencies. They help manage our digital agency. I mean, I mean, they, I wanted the help. I had the funding from my other two investors without the beauty experience and the help. And we made a lot of really expensive mistakes. So I was like, actually, I want beauty people. (laughs) I want people that can help guide me and partner with me. And I have conviction about certain things, but I also have a lot of questions about others. So that's, I chose them for the, the reasons that, you know, I really liked them and I wanted their help. Some people just want the money. You know, there are other brands that I spoke to. They're like, I don't want somebody meddling in my business. I know what I'm doing and I'm doing it well. And I don't want anybody meddling. I just want the money. And there are investors that will do that. And it just depends on what you're looking for. But I would say it's not just about the valuation. You know, obviously the higher the valuation, the less you're getting diluted, but you then have to work with those people. And it can be a really tough thing if you're not aligned and you're not, the chemistry isn't there. So valuation is important, but it's not everything. I love that. And I also love like the key word for me listening to that was just the non-negotiable in any person making a decision in this level is you have to have chemistry. If you don't have the chemistry, no matter what everything is, I feel that's not a great part. And it's exactly like choosing a co-founder to you said. I mean, there will be a co-founder in another way, right? So that feeling has to go beyond whether it's the money, the expertise, the infrastructure, that all of that, you choose what you need. But then yep. 
the chemistry has to be. And, and it is, I feel like obviously people understand that, but I do think people can lose their, when you, probably when it's, I haven't done it, but I can imagine it being quite a tiring journey. And then there's certain timeframes that need to be met. And eventually you can make decisions a little bit based on that last conversation you had and just like go for it. But ultimately don't forget, is the chemistry real and is the chemistry deep and authentic? That is the non-negotiable, I would say, yeah, in my opinion. Spend enough time with them that you really yeah. do get a sense of that because you are going to be working really closely and it's your baby, it's mm-hmm. your brand and it's your family, literally in your case, your family, in my case too. And you're letting someone in to your yeah. family, to your you it's, know Thanksgiving dinner or whatever it is. And it's intimate and you've yep, got to really I've, like them I've, and trust them and be able to have healthy conflict with them too and be able to manage through that in a very healthy way. Um, and you need to spend time with them to get to know that. One tip I have, which is probably not the best tip, but this is what I do. I Whenever I test, like my way of testing people that they're in my circle, like whether it's like my teammates, my friends, my influencers, we work with everything. I always do a variety of activities, but usually the main one is an escape room with them. (laughs) So things I love so deeply and I love, I'm obsessed with is escape rooms. And if I can like go (laughs) on an escape room with someone, like they're in my circle. So like, for example, I will be, when I get an investor, take them to an escape room. (laughs) They can do an hour with me. We're good. So it's like a joke in a way, but it means like find something that you would do in your personal life with your friends and you should be comfortable enough to do it with those people in those other circles because it is a relationship that you would consider like family and friends you know what I mean like you should feel as comfortable doing that uh it's sort of like what I I think an escape room is genius because you're looking through problems and and you'll see how they are under pressure and if they're actually smart you can be like huh you didn't see that okay that's dodgy how good can you be then in my company and I'm kidding but like (laughs) it is something to uh like my team always jokes because I do like like when I was in Canada for this like masterclass road trip I did seven escape rooms in 10 days my poor brand my chief of staff was like trying to kill me but at the same time I was like uh I was like testing I was like okay good you solved that you know well done you got promoted um okay I would but- never be hired in your company because there's zero chance I'm getting out of an escape room like, I, I have no sense of direction I have no spatial awareness. it's a team effort it's a team effort well we'll go one day and you'll be you'll be good you'll be good you'll be in good I'll company be like cheering but- you on I'll be like you're the engineer Get yeah, out of here. exactly exactly <laughs> I, I got it better now it's, it's a it's um i am not getting this out of here <laughs> <laughs> i love that well also before we start wrapping up with fire i do want to ask a bit about distribution because you mentioned sephora a couple yeah. of times so where is skin fix distributed today and maybe tell us a little bit the journey of distribution today yeah yeah we have a very um atypical distribution journey simply because when i started the company we sort of we say we started in 2014 because that's when we actually launched at retail it took me about a year and a bit to figure out how to manufacture an otc and how to position and how to brand it but um we started at mass because we were mm. treating eczema and we were going after sort of Avino and CeraVe Target, and yeah. with something that was clean and natural. And so we went to Target, who are like Sephora in the mass sphere, really strong brand builders. They got it. They loved it. We launched with them um, a, just a couple of eczema SKUs and in full distribution and at Shoppers Drug Mart in Canada. And it was going really well. 
Um, I think it was before Target really knew how to do the indie brand thing. You know, this was well before Native, well before some of their later successes. I think if we were to go back and launch with Target today, we it would have been a, a, an even different situation because they really understand now how to build indies. But at the time, um, we... W- you know, it was expensive. It's hard at mass because you're doing all the heavy lifting. You're pushing the demand into the stores. There's nobody in store helping to tell the story and sell the product. And then we actually launched on QVC and we were able to tell the story. We were able to show the clinicals. We were able to um, have a much more intimate sell and it went really well. And we realized that the brand has started to evolve to a place where it probably belonged in prestige distribution and prestige distribution had evolved. Clean was happening. Clean clinical was happening with drunk elephant. And Sephora is always way ahead of the curve. As you know, they were already thinking therapeutics and actives and body care. They were seeing the future. So Priya and Artemis had seen me speak at women's wear and they had thought the brand was really interesting. So we went and met with Sephora and they were willing to take us on. So we exited mass which was an incredibly expensive and onerous task, repackaged, same formulations, same amazing tested, clinically validated formulations, because we were quite an expensive price point at Mass, which was also a challenge. And we launched Sephora. And I know of two other brands that have done that. The Ordinary was at Rexall in Canada, which is a drugstore, and um, Laneige was at Target and relaunched at Sephora. So there's three of us that have done it. Um, and it has been incredibly successful. You know, the growth at Mass was sort of slow and steady, but the investment was high. And the growth at Sephora has been just, you're able to scale so much faster. Their client was ready for it. You know, he, she, they was looking for something to treat skin barrier health, therapeutics. And it's just been real. And they're just so good at, you know, you're able to do masterclasses and meet the BAs and train the BAs and, get them on board as advocates and the merchants are so smart in terms of guiding us in product development. And so we've been really blessed. Um, I've always loved Sephora. I would have loved to have launched with them from the get go, but at that time wasn't quite the right time. So it's a very unusual and atypical distribution strategy. I don't recommend it, but that is, that is what happened. (laughs) But I also love, there's such an inspirational message of like anyone who's in that current position of maybe they're not in their preferred distribution for where the brand is today based on so many factors, right? They might be in mass, but they want to be in a bit more prestige. They might be in prestige, but they're a bit more mass. A change is possible, right? It's not impossible. And I think that's totally. um, really important because a lot of people feel either they have to recreate a brand or another one to get that goal that they wanted to do, or they have to close it. There's other ways to pivot um, that make sense at the right time. Uh, you just have to be willing to do it. I think that's a big, big. And I'm seeing brands do that. I'm seeing Mm. brands that are in Target in the U.S. but launching Sephora Canada or exactly Target in the U.S. launching Sephora Europe. And you know the the lines are blurred, and it's just a different world. And I think it'll become much more um, typical. But you're right; it just you're not locked. Nothing's permanent. It's not over if you make the wrong decision. Um, Urban Decay, famously, the CEO at Urban Decay, um, I had dinner with him once and Tim Warner, he's now at Shani Darden, but he said we were in and out of Sephora three times, Yeah, three times. And at the last time it was like, this is your last shot, Urban Decay. And boom, they sold to L'Oreal for $1.2 billion, you know, however many years later. So 
it's not a short journey. It's a marathon, not a yep. sprint. There are very few brands that get there in two or three years. Some yeah. do, but they are the anomalies. The rest of us have spent a decade probably <laughs> you know, figuring it out. Um, and, and I can tell you, even the ones that are in it from day one, they don't feel ever at ease. And, they, and it could be, you know, I get days where I'm like, will I get delisted? And even though we launch in Sephora. And it's normal because there's so many brands coming in a bit later with crazy growth and t- overtaking our revenues. And uh, sometimes it takes different paths in different ways. So just know um, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be in that moment. And if not, it'll come back again. No, no path is ever typical. No. And if you're self-funded and you don't have an investor yep. who's got expectations of an exit, you can take your time and and build it so that it's rock solid and it's forever. Exactly. And that's, 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 uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And then I, and I think it's working in the sense of no matter what from the business perspective, I'm just enjoying it. So for me, that's working. And that's all I can ask for, you know, the enjoyment of building this business. Yeah. You should have fun. That's what Nicole from Stride always says to me. She's like, this is the time when you should be having fun. You know, exactly. like it's working, you're scaling, you've got a president, you've got a COO. It's like, have fun. Yeah. I'm like, exactly. okay. I right. love that. I love that. This is not, it's not every day we get to build this journey and this brand. So it's incredible. But um, we're so well, lucky. So, so, so lucky. And I think also, it's more, it gets luckier when you get to bring more and more people into that fold. That's why I love hiring people and bringing, you know, retailers in and stuff. It's just, I feel like the family is like an evolving family that just builds and builds. I'm sure you feel the same way. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so now fire round questions. Um, but the first question I have is um, a desert island situation. So you can only bring one product on this desert island. It's TSA. They're being very strict. It's not me. What can you bring? What will you bring from Skin Fix? Oh, from Skin Fix. I was going to say Skin sunscreen, Fix. but we don't have a sunscreen yet. <laughs> Maybe so yet, yet, yet. Please develop. And yeah. we, have a, we have a lab submission. I'll take that. No, um, that I would take our serum. Our new serum is, is incredible. It kind of, yeah, yeah it's, it's really amazing. Love the texture, super hydrating. I'd take our serum. Um, so fire on questions and then we'll wrap it up. Business to build, leave it to it. But um, yeah. first question is, uh, what is another beauty brand that you're currently loving right now? Oh gosh, I love so many. Um, I love the Seven Virtues fragrance. I don't know if yeah. you know them. Yes. Another... Is it also a Halifax company? Yeah, Halifax she founder? is. And she's Barbara, she came in the pod. Very yeah. best friends. Yeah. Are, but she, uh, I just... One of her new fragrances that's launching in September is just incredible. I'm just oh, loving amazing. it. I'm obsessed. Yeah, and I, I love, love the category. I love fragrance. And what she does in Sephora yeah. is top notch. She's amazing how she gets involved and builds a brand. It's incredible. Um, yeah. My next question is, what or where is your happy place? Uh, my happy place is any beach. I'm a beach person. I love the beach. I spent a lot of my life in California and I live on the coast now and I need to be close to a beach, but just being on a beach, listening to the waves is my happy place. Well, the beach with your serum on my founded beauty ritual, that would be the perfect (laughs) happy place. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) My next question is, what is your hidden or maybe not so hidden talent? Astrology. Mm. I am a little bit, I mean, my astrologer, if she listens to this, her 
you know, hair will curl over this, but she's probably like, you're not an expert. You make shit up. But I love to read people's Amazing. charts. I love Amazing. astrology. I love if I can even open somebody's mind or heart up to a reality about them that allows them to have more compassion for themselves. That's just for me, the magic that. of astrology and, and to have yeah. compassion for others, but for people to say, Oh yeah. Okay. That's why. I'm this yeah. way and, and these are my gifts. And it's, I find astrology like an endless gift. You can always keep on looking at it and you'll always get something out of it. Um, but one thing I, you should, I, if you haven't done it before, I can connect you with someone after offline, but Vedic astrology, which is Indian's version of astrology is incredible yes. as well too. Priya Venkatesh. Priya, yeah, she probably has told you about it. hooked me up with a Vedic astrologer, but I would love to be connected. I have with another one. I have okay. another one. Okay. And I have some by my god, like father, like my kind of like my dad's best friends, like Deepak Chopra. So we have a few that we've known from his circles, and I'll connect you to a few. You'll love it. I would uh, love that. I so would that's love coming it. Up. And my last, last question is if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur, what would Amy be doing right now? I would probably be a tarot card reader. Yeah. <laughs> I would be doing something in the spiritual realm for sure. Oh. I would be doing something to help people connect with spirit. Well, we need to do a Fable and Main skin fix, some kind of, because my sister is obsessed with tarot. Our whole brand is like Manifest okay. Tarot. And my sister reads tarot like every night. So we'll talk offline. There's something we need to do in this because as founders, we would love Well, to my astrologer comes to our influencer events and does mini <gasps> readings for the attendees and she's fantastic. So maybe we do something with like tarot, astrology. Yeah, be really Done. cool. Oh my God, okay, we're going to start brainstorming. With Barb. with Barb as well. Oh my God, that'd be so fun. That'd be so fun. Yeah. I'm getting, I've got goosebumps. I'm excited yeah. for this. Um, yeah. So, well, Amy, um, where can everyone continue to follow yourself and the brand? Well, you know, this is the thing, uh, gosh, which is embarrassing. You, you can't really follow me because I don't really do social. And part of it is because Jealous. I'm just, I'm ADHD. I can't be on social and I'm at tech and app. So I don't even know how to do what you do. But you can follow <laughs> SkinFix. One of these days, you may be able to follow me. I am inspired yeah. by you. And I said to my 19 uh, year old daughter, can you do this for me? Can we make me do stuff like this? Can we do videos? Like, no, it's embarrassing, but I'm actually private on Instagram. All I'm posting is pictures of my kids and my dogs. It's not interesting. Uh, so you can't <laughs> maybe later. follow me. Maybe Sorry, later, maybe. but skin fix, skin fix is the place for now. No, 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 no. We're going to work on that. Your 18, 19 year old daughter and myself, we're going to work on that. But um, for now... <laughs> I'll put all the links for Skin Fix in the website so people can just okay. tap straight away. Oh, and I need I your mentorship. Wait. You need oh, to show me how like, to do social. And I need your astrology reading. So we're, we're going to do some <laughs> sharing and we're, we're, we got that. Um, but thank you so much again for your time and for all your wise wisdom. And I'm sure everyone listening is also sending the love. Thank you. I adore you, Akash. Yeah. I love what you're doing. It's really inspirational and aspirational. And so well done and keep going. hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it. And if you did, please share it with a friend who you think will love it too. Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, the Acast app, and many more. And I'm also very proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share, and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach 
new listeners. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founds of Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops.